Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Tom Howard and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's Thursday 10th of June and on today's podcast we're talking WRC and last weekend's punishing Rally Sardinia. And as I wrote for the website, an event best summed up as the good, the bad and the angry. Also, if you like rallying, we have a podcast channel called Gravel Notes, which you can follow in your favourite podcast app. I've put a link in the show notes too. We're going to be doing more rally content in that channel for the rest of 2021, so follow that now. Joining me on the Autosport podcast today is our man Nick Garten to review the highlights, lowlights, turning points, close calls, moments of anger and heartbreak that made round four. There's plenty to talk about, let's be honest. It was a pretty crazy rally. (laughs) I mean, last year Sardinia was my favourite event. It it was an absolute corker and there was so much going on right to the finish. And then the spark sort of went out of it on Saturday this year. And Sardinians sort of deserve a bit better than that. But also, at the same time, some of those stages didn't half look a bit higgledy-piggledy. And when you are the world's second biggest motorsport series, uh, chogging around goat tracks like that perhaps isn't necessarily the thing you ought to be doing. No, I guess, um, uh, yeah, I mean, let's start with the... I think we let's go to the deep end. I mean, obviously, Hyundai obviously had an absolute... Uh, nightmare again uh, uh, two events in a row now where they've had the lead and then sort of shot themselves in the foot um, what, what have they got to do to actually get one across the line? They've got an awful lot which needs working out and institutionally I think it's, it's I mean clearly they've lost 
three wheels from fairly three rear wheels from fairly innocuous looking knocks in the last two rallies which has cost Tanak 50 points it's cost the team huge amounts in terms of the manufacturers championship and other cars just don't seem to be breaking their rear wheels off in those sorts of impacts Danny Sordos is a different case in point that was clearly never going to stay on even if he was in a tank um but in terms of that little rock that Tanak hit and then the two minor hits that, that Tanak and Neville took in Portugal, there is something that needs to be questioned, I think, in the post-mortem that um, Andre Adamo and the team will be doing this week. Um, why on earth are our rear wheels coming off when a butterfly looks at them? Um, because they're, they're throwing away a world championship here, haven't they? Because that car is so fast. Um Tanak showed on Friday just how good it was. Obviously, he had a favourable favorable road position, but in Portugal as well, those things were so fast, but fragile. Absolutely. And the, the series is so tightly matched, certainly between the two big manufacturer teams, um, that any advantage is magnified and any issue is is magnified in that same way. I mean, the difference between the two cars on smooth gravel is um, very much down to the footprint of the car. So the Yaris is obviously a much more compact, um, I think, more nervous. You can't actually get a driver to say that it's more nervous, but if you've got a car with a big footprint that sort of glides over rough stages, and then the uh, the, the Yaris always reminds me of the old Peugeot 205 Group B car, the way it throws its tail up in the air, and the drivers seem to be hanging on for it. Um, obviously, they've got... Um, Elfin, who looks like he's hanging on for grim death anyway, um, when you see him at work in, in the car, he's got teeth are gritted and he's tensed up. Um, Ogier, equally, would look like he's sitting in a nice relaxing bath um, when he was at 11 tenths. So it's quite hard to gauge, perhaps, how hard they're working. But certainly when, when you're looking at the car on a stage, the Yaris is... It wouldn't be my first choice as, as a world rally car. I would go for a Hyundai, but I'd make sure that M Sport had built it. Obviously, the, the big problem pre um, the last two rallies has been, or certainly on Portugal as well, has been tyre selection. And whenever there's been a marginal call um, and there's been a zig or a zag, uh, Hyundai zigged and it should have zagged. Um, and that's come from last year as well. That, that's a carryover. The cars um, tend to stall um, when they are on the handbrake a lot more often. I mean, we saw all the cars stalling this weekend. It's what put um, Timo Sunin on on his roof. Um, it happened to the Toyotas once or twice. Um, but it seems to be a fairly regular thing that the Hyundai's will cut out if, if you have to yank the handbrake or if you're in a really slow, um, sharp junction, you, you're at risk there and you could drop five or six seconds every time. Um, Neville suffered from it terribly last year and we've seen it recur this year so that's an ongoing issue the tyre management and strategy has been catastrophic at times and now we've got this question mark over why on earth are their rear wheels falling off whenever you know they look at anything larger than a pebble Yeah it's interesting I actually asked Thierry in the press conference on Sunday if he was concerned about how fragile the cars are and he played it down uh quite heavily but he did admit that the car is more fragile than the Toyota and also said quite interestingly that the focus is on next year's car now so there's probably not going to be a chance that they'll actually be able to properly fix this this year yeah 
Yeah. Um, and how much money are you really going to throw at trying to fix things on a car which is obsolete in six months? Um, not an awful lot is the answer. So um, I don't think I don't think they can really give up on this year. Um, I don't think that they should, although 51 points when in pure performance terms they are so tightly matched is a mountain. Um, and you know then there's Hyundai doesn't care about drivers titles but it's drivers do Um, so Tanak yes mathematically he's still in but it's such an incredible long shot Um, and Ogier and Evans are neither of them the kind of people that incur those sorts of issues you know nobody's got a finishing record certainly in the past two seasons like, like Evans Ogier's only had that failure um, in Turkey last year, with his with his engine going on the final stage, so um, which was a fifty p part. Um, so I really think that in terms of you know, I know there was some talk after the rally of uh, you know it could change, it could be this, it could be that. no. I just don't see that happening. Um, they are where they are, and the only thing that they can hope to do is finish one, two, and three on four or five rallies. And if um, they are sensible about it, the only thing they can say to Oit is, we're going to have to put our money on Thierry now because whoever's fault it is, and we might talk about Mr. Adamo and his um, let's not uh, find fault anywhere chaps, um, but Oit's lost 50 points in two rallies and Thierry hasn't looked like winning a rally and yet he's the only person who looks like he stands the ghost of a chance of catching Ogier and Evans in the points. I think, I think you're right. I think they're, they're in trouble and they need to do something fast if they actually want to win this title. Um, I mean, as you said, the, the Toyota seems quite bulletproof, although it does, doesn't like the water splashes as we saw on the weekend <laughs> in Sardinia. So I guess, I guess Mr. Adamo is hoping that there's a few more water splashes on the next few rallies. But um, as Yari Matti said, that obviously they will look into that and try and try and resolve those issues because even Ogier had a, had a misfire on that last stage where Elfin obviously had his mad panic as to try and get that thing refired and to the finish um, so yeah I think you're right I think I think it's Toyota's to lose already we can say that yeah absolutely and they do have a flap which is supposed to um, block off that part of the intake and stop the water drowning the engine completely um, it doesn't necessarily always work but they do have it there and I think if you've got you know, if you've got institutionalised problems to deal with, potentially cutting out in water splashes is a, a, far from the worst position that any of the team principals are in at the moment. Just want to go back to Saturday because that was just classic WRC drama where Tanak's cruising and you think, yep, I'd even probably started writing my report thinking, yeah, he's pretty much going to win this. Uh, and then uh, hits a rock, he's out the rally and then three stages later Sordo flips after making a, a sort of a rare driver error shall we say and then you cut to to Andrea Adamo in the in the service and he looked like as if like someone had killed his dog or something he was just so devastated it's how do you how does he pick up the team like it must be a ridiculous job for him to try and get people back and, and feeling like they can actually win yeah, I mean, I actually, I really appreciate having Adamo in the service park um, and being that presence and giving us something to 
write and talk about anyway. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, you don't get F1 team principles that come out and say the sort of things that he does. Um, and I think it really, really helps give our series personality um, to be able to do that. He's also sometimes his own worst enemy. Um, and I don't think that the uh, commentating team helps themselves an awful lot. Um, and that was a particularly daft couple of questions to hit him with as their opening gambits. And he responded in an emotional way, um, which I think actually had repercussions for uh, later on in the rally when Mads Osberg um, threw his toys out at the pram, because I think that all all this um, WRC2 issue um, is sort of related to the fact that Adamo basically um, owned the WRC commentators and told them that they were not doing their job properly. And in fairness, he had a point. I mean, it was pretty crass stuff that he was being asked in a very emotional moment right after Danny's gone out. And this this is a turning point for the championship. Danny, as we saw in Portugal, and as we've seen so often in 2019-20 particularly, is the man who gets the job done. The two star drivers last year and this year uh, in Neville and Tanak, they can drop the ball. And they, they drop it more often than Ogier does, and they certainly drop it more than Elfin does. Um, and so you need... When your priority is the manufacturer's championship and getting two scores the best you can and being in a position to take points away from Toyota, that's his priority. It's not about being Captain Flashart and, you know, driving through the stage five seconds quicker than anyone else. Um, And that's what Thierry and Oita are about. And it's a funny dynamic in that way. Um, But when, when something of that magnitude has happened, I think you just need to frame your question better to Adamo. I've been a victim of it myself. Everyone is at some point. I asked him um, when they announced the new regs for next year, um, at the beginning of 2020, that it would be a bolt-on hybrid component, um, that it wouldn't be a manufacturer or a performance uh, part that you could gain an advantage from. What was the point sort of thing? You know, should it not be a part that you can put some intellectual property into that you can gain some performance advantage out of? You know, Hyundai, if it wants to sell hybrid cars, should it not say that ours is the better hybrid system? And I got a one word answer, which was no. Later on, we we got back around to it. And then he explained, you know, look, it's a cost thing. Yes, if, if this was a pure competition um, in that way, if you but if you look at what happened to World Endurance... Um, you know, and you had all the manufacturers piling into world endurance with hybrid cars and spending Formula One money on a championship that was never going to get Formula One viewing figures. Um, it just makes no sense for us to say we as manufacturers have to be putting our IP into the hybrid component. And it also prices out the likes of M Sport, whose manufacturer is really only a sponsor. It's, I was going to say, yeah, that's a classic point you make about Andrea and the fact that it's also I think it's good to have well it's brilliant to have characters like him in the series because let's face it some of his quotes are excellent and also you know it generates good good coverage and good um, good stories but also it makes you think uh, more as a journalist because you know he's a bit of a prickly customer shall we say in terms of how he answers stuff it makes you think harder about 
what you're actually trying to trying to get here because it's a good challenge, isn't it? Going up against him, it is. And when that that question first, the first question he was hit with when you could see that he didn't really want to be there, but the cameras and the, the, the crew were loitering outside, is, you know, does it does it make you feel any better that it's not the team's fault, it's the driver's fault? And as he said, it's a stupid question. This is your global mouthpiece for the series, and you're asking a question like that. It's like when um, recently in a, in a Ford presser, um, Gus Greensmith was asked if he went on social media to see all the hate he gets. Well, of course he doesn't. But I'll tell you what, one positive, though, was Chris Meek. How good was he uh, as a pundit, shall we say, on, on the coverage? Like, just listening to him, it was um, he gave so much more insight than anyone else on that team. But also, it was just really refreshing to hear him again. But also, he sounded like he enjoyed what he was doing, too. I'm a big Chris Meek fan. Um, always have been... Um did the IRC for Autosport in, in 2009, the year he won it. And, you know, he's just um, so competitive and so sharp and so intelligent. Um, and he sort of belies that as a driver sometimes because he's also very much of the heart-overhead McRae style of a driver. Um, so there is that sort of a dichotomy with Chris, but he was... Thoroughly brilliant, I thought. I also think that Mads Osberg has been stupendous in the role. And having people who can bring that to um, the series and the way it presents itself, I think is invaluable. As a live presentation, and people hold so much store in live and streaming it and whatever else. I grew up with Formula One as a kid. I watched Formula One highlights. There was no live F1 coverage. And it was always interesting because you condense... A, I've, I watched Azerbaijan Grand Prix and I've only watched seven minutes, the highlights that Formula One put out. I can't be bothered with the rest. I don't want pundits telling me what's going on in, in their view when usually that's not right. Um, and what Meek did this weekend and what Mads has done in previous weekends has literally been to, to get the stuff from the horse's mouth and to interpret it um, brilliantly for for the viewers in a way that... A lot of the commentary cannot and um, isn't likely to. We should talk about Ogier. I know it's obviously uh, <laughs> the, the way this, this relentless winning machine can be boring, but he, he was magnificent on the weekend. Again, opening the road, ending Friday in third, where people like Elf, Elfin Evans and, and uh, Neville obviously struggled and they were just a couple of positions back on the road. Um, he's just a master at it, How, and, and I think we're we're really going to miss it when he does decide to sort of give it up. Uh, yeah, and the question is, when's that going to be? Um, <laughs> because um, he's gone from a position of right, twenty twenty is my last year, and then we had COVID, and okay, I don't feel it's been a proper year, so I'll stick around for twenty twenty one. We get into twenty twenty one, and let's face it, he's not really very beatable. And if Toyota's willing to throw him a bundle of cash to do what he loves very, very well, perhaps he's going, why should I stop? Um, do I really need to stop? Um, and there seems to be this sense that rather than do a Lerb style two or three events um, that suit him, he's actually thinking, I can continue to trip contribute and I can continue to, to build a legacy. Um, and that's... Very worrying, particularly if you are someone 
called Oit or Thierry or Elfin because um, at the moment in a in a straight fight they haven't yet shown that they they've got what it takes to take him out. Um, so he was brilliant. His Friday stages were brilliant. Um, he's done stages like that um, when he's needed to every time this season and last. Um, and I always think that it's a privilege to see someone like that. It was a privilege to, to write about um, Sebastian Loeb in 2009. It was, it was a privilege to write about Michael Schumacher. Um, when somebody is so in control of their profession um, and achieving things that nobody else can at that given moment. Um, it's it's just spectacular. Um, and yeah, some people might find it boring, but they're probably not the people that would tune in and watch anyway. No, he's just, he's a remarkable talent. There's no doubt about it. You just, you, you watch and you just, you're just mesmerised by how he does it the way the way he does it how cool he looks at doing it like it's just it's ridiculous like even there's a shot of him just doing a a massive dive into the sea after the win and he's like full on dive no messing about and it, you just think this guy is pretty cool isn't he <laughs> he's so relaxed this year compared to previous years i think um uh, it's it previous years and particularly when he was working his way up he was so uptight um and there would, and then when he was sort of at the top, there would be these out, outbursts um, about things that he felt weren't right. Road position being a primary one. Now, after the event, you know, he said, "Well, we thought it wasn't going to be worth turning up, um, being first on the road on Friday." And he said on Friday morning, "Well, anything higher than eighth is going to be a win." Um, at the end of the first day, and where was he? He was third. Um, now, okay. In in normal circumstances, he perhaps wouldn't have been third, but he was he was all right. He he um he got himself where he needed to be, and obviously Calais helped him a bit inadvertently. Um, and even the Fords made life easy for him because I think when you look at the pace that um, Suninen uh, potentially and Greensmith, in fact, was able to put out, they they were up there with Katsuta's pace, and Katsuta was sort of not easy for Ogier to get past. Um, so he, life was made easier for him, but you've got to be there and you've got to be turning in those times. And he still managed to set two second fastest stage times whilst running first on the road, which I think is, you know, nobody else in the WRC could do that. You, you talked about M-Sport there, and that's a good point because they had a rally to forget. Uh, it was just from uh, the Sunderland roll in the first stage uh, throughout, they were, had unusual mechanical problems. It was just uh, it was just disastrous for them when you had to feel for Timu because he's uh, he's been out so long and he's expected to just be on it straight away in the WRC car and it's just not that easy, is it? It was the same with both of them, I think, with with Formo as well because M Sports budget is tight. Um, you know the the two big teams were able to go testing um, prior to Sardinia in that. You know, 10 days between rallies and yet they still managed to fit a, fit a test in um, you've got drivers who certainly in Formos um, he's only four years since he ever first drove a rally car um, Suninen obviously went out after a stage in Monty his confidence went then um, he drove on snow but that's a totally different kettle of fish then he had to get used to driving the rally 2 car again um, 
and then Formo had the problem of thinking his Rally 2 car was a WRC car on the first stage and that caused him to go off and Suninen well I think the debate will, will go on internally at M Sport as to whether or not the car cut out whether he did something to make the car cut out whatever happened and he ended up on his roof come what may so um I think that the lack of testing and the policy to swap those two drivers particularly from Rally 2 to Rally 1 is uh, it, it didn't work out for them there. They, there's not much that they can do about it because um, Timu hasn't got the backing behind him to, to pay for a seat for a whole year. Um, and Adrian has, but he needs to build himself up and you know they need him doing his job in Rally 2 as well because obviously that then drives customer sales of, of the Fiesta Rally 2 for all the regional and national championships around the world and that car needs to be seen to be doing the best it possibly can against the Hyundai's and Skoda's and everyone else. I guess for M Sport it's really they're looking towards next year even when we were sort of talking to Richard Milliner he was saying that you know they obviously there's a lot of testing going on with the, with the new car for next year and they were sort of focusing on that rather than doing testing for Timu and and the like yeah. they've obviously come out and said that they want to get a driver that can win a title for for next year and I guess then who is that because you know they've, they've said they're, they're looking at everyone you know Mickelson's name was thrown in there but it seems quite hard to, to entice a real big name there given how sort of difficult their you know their last couple of years have been all the big names all the potential rally winners are waiting on Ogier because now that Hyundai's come out and said we're sticking with, with Tanak and Neville for the next foreseeable future, multi-year, read that as two years, there's no drive available for anyone with ambition to go for a driver's championship, which means that Toyota's the only seat available, and now Ogier's dithering about whether or not he wants to get out. In which case, if you've got Ogier and Evans, first of all, there not being a Hyundai means that Evans has pretty much got to stay there, and it sort of strengthens Yari Matty's hand in driver contract negotiations. We know that Mads Osberg and we know that Andreas Mikkelsen are both stepping back to WRC2 in order to prove that they can take on all the kids and beat them and that they should be back in a in a frontline WRC car. Andreas and Mads have both got significant funding behind them. And Andreas said last year when he was testing for Pirelli, he said, I've got budget. I could buy a seat in a WRC car and do a season in WRC. But unless I can win, I can't justify the spend. They're both sort of backing themselves, in a way, to do WRC too, with a view to winning a seat in a Hyundai, which is now gone, or a seat in a Toyota, which may not actually be there. And when I was talking about this with Yari Matty in the interview that I did for this podcast, he, you know, I was talking about those two drivers, and he went, and Esapeka Lappi, which rang a big bell with me, because I didn't volunteer his name, and um, Yari Matty did. Clearly, and it was a very interesting conversation for on many reasons. If you listen to it, um, this was um, pre-Portugal, pre-Croatia. And uh, he said, oh, I hear that, Yari Matti said, I hear that um, Sebastian's saying he might want to uh, do some more rallies next year. I need to talk to him about that. So clearly, um, Sebastian had been talking to Toyota headquarters, He'd been talking to French media, but he hadn't brought it up with Yari Matty yet. Yari Matty had been perhaps getting his thoughts aligned for what he wanted to do with that car next year. And his first thought was p potentially, from 
his little giveaway there was Essa Becker, who, you know, he's a proven rally winner. He's young, he's hungry. Yeah, he would make he would be the sensible choice. If I was Yari Matti Latvala with a spare seat to fill, probably Essa Becker's door would be the first I'd knock on. There's obviously Sordo's future. What about, what about Sordo? Could he be in the mix? For any manufacturer, having Danny is a plus. Um, not only is he Mr. 49 podiums, it really should be 50. He's such a good team player. And also, let's face it, a motor manufacturer is there to sell cars and all the markets that really have WRC at the forefront of their motoring passions are Spanish-speaking nations. Um, Danny is probably the most popular rally driver um, in the WRC because when you go to Mexico, Spain, even Portugal as neighbours and places like this, it's all about Danny. The Danny fans are everywhere. Try finding, you know, an Ogier fan in Spain. Good luck. Um, Danny is the man in that sense. You know, he's affable, he's popular, um, he's charming, he's quick, he's reliable. Um, and he's, you know, let's face it, he's been around since dinosaurs roamed the earth. So um, <laughs> that's a bit harsh. Spain is so passionate. I mean, you know, we saw this in COVID during lockdown when there was no sport going on at all. And WRC did a poll to find the the most popular driver and it was Carlos Sainz by a landslide um and that was not based on performance it's, it's the following of the sport is largely latin hmm. so but i mean guess going back to own sport though what what do they do if if they can't entice well if they can't entice Elfin and they and Andreas and Mads don't feel like the car is going to be good enough to win what what do they do Adrian Formo is i think going to be quite special it's very, very early days, but, you know, you can actually compare his his WRC debut with that of certainly Loeb in, a, um, in an old Toyota Corolla in terms of how many cars there were, where he finished in, in terms of a percentage of the WRC cars. Yeah, I think he's a special guy and he's also proving to be fairly adept on, on gravel as he is on asphalt, as you would expect a Frenchman to be. Um, so I think he's he's quite special. He brings good money with him. You know, he's got Red Bull. He's got the French Motor Author- Motor Federation. Um, he's for his WRC two campaign got got Yako, which obviously they can't have on the WRC because they've got Castrol. But you know, there are there are people that want to back a successful rally driver in France, and, and rallying is still a very big sport in France. Um, so you know, given the talent that he's got, you'd want to hang on to Formo. I also think that um, Gus Greensmith is coming on um, and it's it's obviously hard to see because he's still finishing sixth and seventh when he finishes because they can't really, you know, you can't justify trying to make the Fiesta competitive with the Hyundai's and Toyota's for this season. You've got to look at getting next year right. Um, and they don't have the, the kind of a budget to, to bring the kind of upgrades that you see rally to rally um or certainly have over even over the last 12 months they just don't do that you know they um ford is a sponsor um and you know i'm sure that sponsorship gets tighter and tighter every year with all with all partners as it is in all forms of motorsport um you know if you are high and die you've ring fenced through the covid period you've already signed that budget off until the end of this season three years ago so the money's there and you can do it and you've planned ahead and you can build what you need and it all goes. Whereas M Sport doesn't have that sort of a luxury. 
and it's all down to cash flow. How many WRC2 cars have they sold or serviced this month, you know, um, for, for customers around the world? Uh, the answer in the past 12 months has been not many. They took a very big hit financially when Lappi's car went up in flames in Mexico. Uh, that was a total loss. Half a million quid. Um, you can't replace that sort of, of um, finance when your business is sort of dependent on customers who aren't currently rallying. Yeah, that's a very good point. But I, I still think, like, for Mads and Andreas, it's worth a punt just going to M-Sport because, let's face it, in the last time we had the big regulation change, they actually nailed it with the Fiesta, didn't they? And there's a good chance they could do it again. It's just one of those things, isn't it? Uh, they nailed it with the Fiesta with Ogier in it. Yeah, good point. <laughs> potentially, Formo could be an Ogier. I don't think Gus is going to be an Ogier, but I still think that he's, you know, potentially a, you know, a Sordo, even possibly an Elfin. Let's not forget how many drivers who are now in the top rank have come through M Sport. It's pretty much all of them, and they they know how to school a driver and they know how to get the best out of them and give them everything that they need. I probably feel Malcolm Wilson. You're giving them everything that you need to stay and win a championship with him. Um, as it turns out, you know, Elfin trotted off to Toyota and darn near won it last year and is in the thick of it for this year. Oit, same again. Gary Matty, same again. You know, all these drivers that have been picked up as as recruits. Malcolm has become the Ken Tyrrell of the World Rally Championship in, in finding stars of tomorrow. Um, and I have to hope for them that they keep hold of Adrian because... He's well-funded. He's clearly intelligent. He's clearly, you know, a godsend for media. I love when he said that we were disgusting. We were disgusting the tyres. It's like, yes, why not? Um, I think he is probably their best hope, but it's an awful lot to put on his shoulders four years after he first set foot in a rally car. So Gus has now been, you know, effectively he's, he's two seasons in. He had half a year in, in 2019. He had the whole of last year and the whole of this year so far. And um, I think that the changes that M Sport have made to develop him this year particularly have been very effective. Um, getting him the co-driver that he needs, that he's going to listen to, and Chris Patterson is that. He's got gravitas. He's a, he's a Svengali. Um, getting him to lighten up. Because let's face it, he's doing a job that millions of people around the world want to do. You don't want somebody at the end of every stage going, oh, miserable. You're out there, having, you're doing what we all want to be doing and, and just enjoy it. And, you know, Cameron Diaz isn't the greatest actress in the world, but she looks like she's having the time of her life. So, you know, um, be Cameron. Be more like Cameron, Gus. And, and he's doing it. Um, he's getting well, he's dyed it. his hair blonde, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. I'm saying nothing about that. He's lightening up and he's enjoying it more. Or I I think he's always enjoyed it, but he's something has held him back from expressing it. And I think that um, between them, Chris Patterson, Malcolm Wilson and Rich Milner sat him down and said, look, this is something that so many people would want to do. Tell them it's enjoyable. Tell them it's great. Tell them, you know, because, because when you get to stage end and you either drive off without talking to anyone or you're sort of snarly and snappy. It plays so badly. And this is coming back to what we were talking to with, with Mr. Adamo. You know, he has his way of going about his business, but don't ask him a daft question. And talking about stage and stuff, yeah, it's a very nice segue to the Mads uh, Osberg <laughs> incident, shall we say. Um, it's such a, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, obviously, it was, it was an extraordinary outburst. Yes. Probably one we have, have never seen quite so uh, severe, shall we say. 
Um, but obviously, it shows the emotion of what what he, you know how much it means to him to try and win WRC two, which is which is great. So um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because the you know they've got to talk to these drivers after the stages, but then if you're going to penalise people for showing emotion, that's also tricky as well. But also, it's a fine line when you've dropped six <laughs> f bombs, isn't it? Uh, it's uh, it's it's a difficult one. I, I'm sort of hard. I don't know where I sit on it because. I really like the emotion, but obviously you can't you can't bring the sport into sort of disrepute either. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, nobody in motorsport would be surprised by that sort of language being thrown about. And one of my favourite things to do in a week is to watch the um, uh, NASCAR radioactive. Every other word is that um, when they're describing what they're going to do to people uh, if they do that to him or go tell his sparter, um, then, you know, it, it, it's part of rough and tumble so in that regard and and drivers dread the end of stage questions um you know they're hyped up they're they're seconds after you know being 100 percent committed through a stage um mads had problem after problem after problem his brakes had gone he had that puncture his wheel fell off twice on road sections um he he a lot of it is his investment, his backer's investment, as is for any racer in pretty much every series. Um, it's all on the line there. And to be dropping behind Yari when clearly he was so much quicker than Yari, catching up and then dropping back again uh, so close to the end, it was a hugely emotional time. Um, you'd have thought, and I think that the commentators and, and question masters at the end of stage would have seen him beating seven bells out of his steering wheel and honking and hooting in Norwegian. Um, was that really the moment to to ask for his feelings? Um, and is there any other question they have other than what are your feelings? Um, and clearly Mads was quite happy to give what those feelings were. Um, it was interesting what he said about the Pirelli tyres. I think that very, I get the sense that very few people in the service park are particularly thrilled with the tyres um, that Pirelli has has done. Um, talking to um, Elfin pre Monty, and he was saying, "Well, you know, th- when the roads are dry, they've got really good grip, better than the Michelin's had. But then anything else other than bone dry, it's, it's a bit odd." Um, and we we're hearing this weekend that the gap between the hard and the soft. Pirelli's is massive and drivers complaining about delaminations and so on. There's clearly a conversation going on in the service park off air and Mads brought that out as well because he was in such a tizzy. I worry for that, him. You, you put that very well. Tizzy is great. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's how I describe it. but yeah. <laughs> I worry for him because he's been doing such a good job as a broadcaster with those very same people. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. And I worry for the relationship there because I think my personal feeling is that they got such a dressing down from Adamo the previous day that they were already quite raw. Um, And this whole abusive language thing is sort of, it's not something that WRC promoter or the TV state or the TV production team was going to get involved with but they wouldn't have argued against it either because their feelings were hurt and their feelings were hurt for a second day running when actually it's a bit 50-50 on, on both counts don't ask a dumb question you won't get a stroppy answer it's uh, and it, it, it's 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 live TV 
And obviously when it is live, and as my earlier point, I grew up watching F1 highlights for half an hour with James Hunt and Murray Walker. British touring cars became a success when it was a 15 minutes per race packaged with Murray. Barry Hinchcliffe, who sadly died this weekend, um, what a great job he did of packaging British Touring Cars, World Rally Championship and British Rally Championship as consumer-friendly TV. And I don't think that live motorsport coverage, streaming, it has its appeal. It's great for us, you know, when we're working, if, if, if you know, we're flying out between stages, there is a live feed telling us what's going on 20 miles away when we need to be somewhere. But um, the danger, and and the danger when you've only got three teams who've been there forever, and the the broadcasters have by and large been there forever, that complacency gets in, and things like that can happen two days running. Um, And so I think there's a big question to answer there. Because uh, it's what Formula E and Extreme E are doing right. They are packaging their product and putting it in front of the most eyeballs possible. Um, And simply throwing out live coverage for this because they don't know what else to do with it because you can't necessarily or won't necessarily dish it out to the bbc to run you know bbc or itv in this country are crying out for sports content if you've got it already there produced put it out british touring cars used to be put out at, at evening meal time on a wednesday in sweden it was like eastenders because you had Ricard Rydell and Volvo and all the drama going, you had Cleland going mental at menu and whatever else. And it became one of the, the biggest um, viewing figures that, that Swedish television had in the 90s was British touring cars. Why are we not, um, as, a, as a sport, why are we so transfixed with, with streaming live when actually a lot of it's fairly low quality? Um, and it does allow incidents like Adamo and and Mads to happen. And and Mads has been doing such a good job as a pundit, as Meek did. And I think Meek was Meek um has got a natural swagger to him, which Mads doesn't have. Mads is Mads is your mate, um unless he happens to be in a tiz. But um Or or Pirelli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um he's he's very matey with it chris chris has got a bit of a rock star attitude sometimes and i think that sometimes works it's you know it's a james hunt sort of a thing i i thought he was absolutely spot on he was he was getting the right information by going to the right people in the service park he was presenting it with a you know i don't do this anymore but here's what i'm hearing sort of a thing and it was lovely it it really really worked well and it sort of showed where they're weak in other areas just going back to that mads outburst though i mean it, it again and it sort of this highlights the point that you were making about obviously they've focused heavily on live coverage and perhaps not bbc or itv um so when mads does say something like that that is that's a really good i hate to say it, but it's a really good story for a journalist because it gets eyeballs onto wrc that perhaps weren't there because it's so outrageous and because it's so kind of hidden that you kind of have to run those stories to try and get the get you know get people looking at it. It's a it's a real difficult one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was uh, clearly he was he was in the stratosphere somewhere um, in his head um, and hit with the age old what was the feeling and he gives his feelings. Um, is it is it really news? Driver swears. Is it abusive language? Well, who was he abusing? Um, he wasn't 
telling Molly or whoever it was asking the questions at stage end at that point um, that she was all those things. He was just expressing his frustrations. So it's it's sort of a yeah. It was unfortunate that it happened. And Mads, particularly having been working with the broadcast team as much as he has recently. Um, yeah, that was a red mist and a half. It was very funny. You could hear Meek trying not to laugh. Um. <laughs> but but you see but you see my point though, don't you? Like it, it, it's it's so outrageous that it, it it brings people that perhaps wouldn't be interested in WRC to to it. It's a, it's one of those weird scenarios that we're in in the fact that if WRC was was on a free to air platform packaged as you say, we might not have to run those stories because. You know, it's just one of those really difficult ones to balance, isn't it? I suppose. I mean, you know, the great BTCC quote was, always, no, the man's an animal. Yeah. Cleland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going for first, says Jim. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you, uh, they sort of create those moments. And, and, you know, NASCAR is all about that. You know, the fights in the pit lane. And, you know, then they proactively edit together all the effing and blinding and put it out with beeps. Um, on a Tuesday after a race. Um, and that's a great show. It's one I tune into every week, and I think most people should. And, you know, F1 drivers are now complaining that when they F and blind over the radio about something, it's picked out and used. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. The, you, you cannot... I think that the FIA or the stewards or whoever it was that imposed a €1,000 fine... Um, and a suspended 25-point, 25-point penalty for for expressing himself um, and his feelings about his equipment and about a supplier um, and his performance and how tired he was. Um, Which is ironic, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, quite. Um, So is it a new story that a man in the junior category that the man on the street probably has never heard of swears a bit no i i so i it's good for us if you follow the sport it's an interesting little story but i don't think it's going to bring new eyeballs to it um but that personality adamo's personality um gus greensmith's ever shinier and happier personality um they all become part of a whole and and um yeah, I just think that it, it's sort of been a bit mismanaged. Um, but equally, it's live TV and, and stuff happens. Okay, well, let's uh, <laughs> let's just... We'll, we'll try and wrap things up by looking ahead to Kenya. Obviously, Safari Rally coming back after 19 years. Yes. Uh, it's an event I used to watch as a kid and I used to absolutely love it. It was just brilliant. Um, how cool is it to see that going to be back on the calendar? I think for the WRC brand, it's tremendous um you know to have one of your iconic um events back i think it's hugely important to um retaining particularly japanese manufacturer involvement because uh, safari was always the biggest event of the year for the japanese teams and they would build their cars with safari in mind rather than a championship and i you know there is such a sense of heritage and tradition whenever japanese manufacturers are involved in anything that you know they're going to be over the moon about being there and also it gives hyundai added incentive to come back stronger to beat toyota on the safari um you know in seoul 
that's what they're going to want to be doing. Obviously, Adamo wants to beat them on every round anyway, but I think that if they can't win the championship this year, if they can beat Toyota on the safari, that's a kind of a good second place. Um, so... Um, it's lovely to see it back. I think the the traditionalists um, aren't going to be thrilled. The cars, you know, obviously they used to be very, very different, um, much heavier um, build cars, much more rugged. Um, and the event as it stands is effectively a fairly normal rally. And it's not out in the rough and tough of Kenya. It's on private land, um, which is sort of partly prepared for it. So it's not going to be... Because the safari was always a plod. It was always a... If you survived to the finish, you were in a minority, and then you'd worry about your pace afterwards. Bit like Rally um, Club, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, almost as many goat tracks as <laughs> Rally Sardinia. Um But um, it, it, it was that sort of... A, Acropolis and safari and Ivory Coast rallies back in the... 80s those were three events where performance was secondary to how tough your car was um and you know yeah some stages you needed to be quick but those were really in a very small minority and it was literally getting through the terrain this is going to be very much like a normal gravel rally in europe um it's on a much more sort of manicured and managed area than than trekking across the kenyan outback um and you know from what they were saying there are even you know there is a zebra it's going to be there we know it's going to be there i don't know if it's being tethered or whatever but there will be a zebra and there will be a giraffe and there will be an elephant you know so it's not that same trekking sense it's a rally that is happening in kenya which i think you know the way the sport is that that that's great it's got that name it's bringing the safari back um, to the WRC, and, and WRC can only benefit from that. Surely the co-drivers will put those animals in the pace notes then. <laughs> I, there's going to be some great pace notes, I hope, yes. Four right into Lion. <laughs> that aside, I mean, obviously, you know, it's good to have it back. It, it, whatever form it's in, it's still great to have it back. And, you know, it just brings back so many, you know, good memories of the past. I think obviously, McRae won the last one there in was it 2002. Um, it's uh, it's still just just great to have Safari Rally on the calendar, isn't it? As just as a name, absolutely. And you know, there will be those epic skies. There will be those epic backdrops. It will look a million dollars. I'm quite sure. And the event team behind it. Um, you know, they're all highly experienced. Um, Ian Campbell, who ran Rally Scotland and has been a steward um, and, and been involved in the organisation of many WRC events each season, um, has sort of been steering it and helping the locals get it right. So, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a flawless event. I'm sure that it's going to be beneficial for the WRC and for Kenya. Um, and it's going to be a well-managed stage rally where the teams can go in with the equipment that they've got and I know um, Neville said that he was running safari spec dampers when he and that, he was blaming that for part of his inability to get into the top three on merit um, so they will be running a few things differently um, but I think everyone's been and had a good look already and you know that after the recce they'll be fairly comfortable with what they can do and, and it's just bringing the mystique of that 
of Kenya, of Africa, and of the the legacy of the safari back to WRC, which which can only be a positive. So cards on the table, and who who's your pick? Who's your money on? I mean, it's it's so difficult to predict. Um, I guess uh, I guess you can't really uh, rule out the Toyotas at the moment with that sort of question mark over the Hyundai uh, reliability. Yes, I think. Um, Going to a new event that nobody's ever seen before automatically gives Ozier a fairly huge advantage over everyone. Um, Hyundai will be utterly focused on on beating Toyota. Um, And it was interesting. So on Friday, when um, Neville was running with his Safari spec suspension on and he hit uh, a bank quite hard with his right rear, that didn't fall off. So I would not bet against Thierry, particularly, um, being right up there with Ogier and Evans. I think that's that's going to be your big three. Um, everyone has still got their, their high hopes for, for Kalirov and Pera's first win this year. Um, he has occasionally shown the speed to do it, but not consistently enough. And obviously he has more consistently not finished. So... and. This weekend wasn't his fault, but I think it's a bit of a big ask for him to win the safari at his first attempt. Um, I think, uh, given the run of play, it's going to be Ogier's to Ogier's to lose, and probably Neville will um, be the, the the closest non-Toyota. I just think um, for, for you know for Hyundai, they've just got to. Like they have to go for broke, don't they? They have to go all out attack. And I think Tanak is is just going to be so angry and fired up from what's happened. I just think he'll go in there and blitz it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then Mr. Adamo's got a political situation to sort out. Then <laughs> when Thierry finds himself not being um, allowed to go for a for a, or not being assisted to go for a, uh, a driver's championship. One win and five podiums for Hyundai in five rallies, basically. And that's in amongst those five. It, it's compared to what Toyota's established with five wins. Um, so it's hard to bend against Toyota at this moment in time. We've only, they've only got a three-week turnaround period. The cars are a slightly different spec. Hopefully that's going to help Hyundai with this issue if there is such a thing with their rear wheels um, parting company when they take a knock. And from the evidence that um, when Neville was running Safari spec suspension and he gave it a knock and the wheel didn't fall off, they can be optimistic, I'd have said. Um, yeah, I think it's OGA's to lose. Interesting. Well, um, I guess we'll we'll wrap up there, but uh, appreciate you coming on, Nick, to, to discuss all all things WRC and uh, we'll hopefully see you um, or hear from you soon I look forward to it take care well thank you again Nick that's our podcast for today before we go here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus Jake Boxall leg on the human cost to replacing Formula 1's cancelled rounds in MotoGP Lewis Duncan writes about why Quattararo's Catalonia suit penalty highlights a wider issue and F1 legend Pat Simmons on how Formula 1 can predict car performance with timing loops every 200 metres around each circuit. We think it's the best most sport writing out there, but judge for yourself with half-price access. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com plus and click sign in 
at the top of the page, then use promo code podcast for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.